Welcome to the Mind Body TV podcast with Dr. Kim Duramo. I'm a conventionally trained physician sharing how the body heals and how you can access this state of healing effortlessly. Okay, hello, we're live. Welcome to Mind Body TV. I'm Dr. Kim Duramo. I'm really, really excited for this special broadcast we'll be doing today because we'll be having Jessica Sullivan, who is one of the Mind Body mentors in our program and in our coaching, um, to share, answer questions, share her personal experience with this work and the extraordinary things that she has seen arrive in her own life. So I'm really excited for this. Uh, this is part of our month for Mind Body Mentors, where we want to answer more direct questions, have you have the experience with Jessica and Alicia, our Mind Body Mentors, and have a little bit more of a tangible contact with this work. So welcome to everyone who's here. Share where you're tuning in from, um, where you're listening from or watching from. Hello to everybody who is listening to the podcast in Spotify or watching the recording in our YouTube or wherever you may be. So um, yes, awesome. KR from Tennessee, someone in Facebook from Norway, Shayla from Calgary, uh, Nevada, Holly, hello, Cassia. Uh, love you ladies so much. I'm so deeply thankful for our mentoring, mentoring sessions, Jess, and your loving and always spot on guidance. Thanks, Cassia, for sharing that. Um, awesome. I'm going to bring Jess on, and then we can kind of just further greet people as everyone comes on. Hello from New Zealand, England, Arlington, Virginia, Wisconsin, Nevada, Michigan, Montreal, New Mexico. Awesome. All right. Well, Jessica is uh, has been a member of my team for many years, and prior to that, was a client of mine. She experienced really, really severe illness, debilitating illness in the bed for three years, not really functional in her life, um, was treated with several rounds of antibiotics for Lyme disease. I'm going to let her tell you more of the specifics and basically just kind of had this, you know, not like a death sentence, but here's your life. That's, this is all you're going to get. This is all we can do. There's nothing else that can be done. Um, and resigned herself to kind of just have this really low level uh, functioning, but realized, um, you know, wait a minute, what else is possible? How could my body heal? How can I step outside what I already know and let something new in? And has really completely changed her entire life, healed from severe Lyme disease and chronic fatigue syndrome and um, all kinds of other severe diagnosis she was given. Um, but, you know, it was, it was years back when Jess told me, wow, all the things I'm reading in the mind body community and Facebook and in the comments people are leaving, this could have been my story. This could have been directly out of my own diary of the things I wrote, the things I was thinking, the hopelessness, the helplessness, feeling so lost with this journey of trying to heal and recover from a severe illness. Um, and she's had so, so, so much to share with others. And over the past couple of years has started doing private mentoring sessions for coaching to bring people through this work um, in a very, very, very accelerated way where sometimes when we're applying this work on our own, um, you know, we can get somewhere, there's acceleration, there's things that happen, but when we do it with a coach, it can massively uh, expedite our journey through this process. And um, I'm so excited to share Jess with you because she has such a beautiful heart and so much to give. Uh, so welcome to Jessica Sullivan. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, this is going to yes. be, this is going to be really great. 
Thank yeah. you for being here. And we, yeah. we have questions already coming up. Can diverticulitis, diverticulosis be cured? I have Sjogren's, Lyme, mm -hmm. uh, diverticular diseases. And I think, you know, we could just, the list could go on and on for what a lot of people could ask. Yes. Um, so I, I'd like you to share like what it was like for you where you were kind of in the no man's land of not even knowing what the diagnoses were. And then, you know, what would you say to people who are given maybe sometimes 10 or 20 different diagnoses, yes. um, what's possible in this journey? Yeah. So my journey really began, I'd say about, I'd say about 18 years old. I'm 47 now, but really it began at 16. So at 16 years old, I got mono and this is part of my story that carried over was I didn't just get it for two weeks. I got it for two months and I was out of school and I needed a tutor and I missed my prom and it was right. I had to do it big. <laughs> and so, and then I healed from that. And then at 18, I actually woke up. This was sort of the start of everything for me. Um, I went away for the weekend to the Cape, Cape Cod, came back and I woke up with the most severe headache, high fever, and ended up being rushed to the hospital with meningitis, really out of nowhere. And I do believe, we believe I may have got bit by a tick that weekend being down there, but something I'll never know and don't really need to know um, because I never had the typical bullseye rash. I never had a typical um, tick bite that I saw. So then I go through meningitis a few days in the hospital and I leave for college two or three weeks after this at 18 years old. And so I go to college. I have a wonderful two years in college and my junior year, I actually traveled Europe for 10 days. And when I came back, I had my very first panic attack and I did not know what was happening. I didn't know what a panic attack was. I didn't know what that rush of heat from my feet to my head, what that feeling was, but I was afraid. I knew immediately I went into fear and my system locked into this fear and I was unable to come out of it at that time. So I spent the remainder of my junior in college in this fight or flight. This is when all my symptoms really started to come out. Yeah. It's, this is when headaches started to show up. I had, um, I ended up with about 58 of the 60 Lyme disease symptoms. So I could list all of them, but from headaches to fatigue, the headaches turned into migraines, um, panic attack almost daily. I was having... I was in and out of the emergency room probably at least once a week for something, right? And so I'm 20 years old. I'm alone at school. I'm two hours away from home, and I'm trying to get through class and then leave and go to the emergency room because for me, there's something very wrong going on here. And now I'm having heart palpitations, and I'm laying on the floor of my home at school not knowing what's happening with my heart, and then I'm diagnosed with mitral valve prolapse at 20 years old. So here come the diagnosis. And I have severe gut issues. So I'm diagnosed with IBS. Okay. Then I'm diagnosed. Then I finish that school year somehow. I move home and I take my senior year of college off because I'm in such panic and such fight or flight that I'm unable to return to school. So I take that entire year off to find out what's wrong with me. And so now I'm going to psychiatrists 
psychologist, therapist, doctor after doctor after doctor. And I am actually being tested for Lyme and they're coming back negative. The testing at that time and the test that they were using was inaccurate. So I'm getting a negative test result. So the doctors are saying, it's not that you're actually fine. All your blood work is good. Everything's coming out normal. So I'm going for EEGs of the brain because something's something's off and I know something's off. So here's my journey of like every week now I'm at a new doctor. I'm really in the trying to figure out what is wrong because I wanted this diagnosis so bad to really show me that I was right, right? That something is wrong, that there is something. And I wanted that proof. I wanted the blood test. I wanted something. And so a lot of doctors wrote me off that I had emotional issues, right? It was just my own emotions getting the best of me. I knew enough not to pay attention to that. I actually was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. They thought I had lupus. They thought I had MS. Um, whew, yeah, there was a long list of diagnosis that didn't really resonate with me. And what ended up happening is the following year, I did go back to college and I thought, okay, right, here's that um, sort of my perfectionism, my type A personality is I'm going to finish school and I'm going to finish school at the school that I started. I did three years. I'm going to go back and get my degree and finish my year. And so I did that. And I was, I shouldn't have, but I did at the time because I was not well enough to do that. And so my entire senior year was spent like in detachment. I didn't really even know who I was. I'm trying to go through courses and I'm having to leave again to go to the emergency room for, I'm going to see doctors for migraines. I'm, the emergency room is sort of my go-to place. Um, thinking they're going to know what's wrong with me and they're going to be able to give me something, help me, give me the answers. And I never got the answers. Uh, so I continued to do this for that entire year of my senior year of college. I don't know how I graduated by the skin of my teeth. I made it through. I was coming home every weekend and crying when I had to go back to school because I knew it wasn't where I needed to be, but I was forcing myself to just like push through, just get through this year, just get through. So I was really struggling with knowing I needed to sort of be home and be nurtured and take care of myself and pushing myself to accomplish this thing that I thought I needed. So I graduate, I didn't actually go to my graduation, but I completed college, I moved back home. And at this point I'm, un, 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 I'm unable to drive myself home. So I needed my family to come pick me up, drive my car, drive me home. And again, it's, oh, well, I have to get a job now. I'm out of college. So I get this great marketing job, knowing I'm really not well enough to be doing this. But again, I'm sort of just going through the motions of what I think I'm supposed to be doing. And I get this job, but I'm having chronic um, strep throat infections and chronic ear infections. And this continued for about a year until I showed up at my work and I completely collapsed on the floor. Wow. Yeah. And driving there, I knew I have no business going to work today. And I got there 
and I could barely walk up the stairs and I completely collapsed. And so my boss at the time had to drive me home and I never went back. And so two months later I had my tonsils removed. So I'm now at age 23. I thought this was going to solve everything for me. All my health problems are going to go away. Everything was, oh, it's my tonsils. It's strep throat. It's right. ear infections. It's um, Epstein-Barr still in your body, right? From having mono at 16. So I have the surgery thinking it's going to solve everything for me. And it actually opened Pandora's box for me. And I, I was probably just not strong enough to have the surgery at that time. And so my body was unable to recover from that surgery. So two months later is when I became bedridden and I was unable to, yeah, I really couldn't function at all. I couldn't brush my own teeth. I couldn't walk down my stairs to get food. Uh, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. And I was moved back home with my mother at the time who found this doctor online, the specialist in Lyme disease, because my symptoms matched so many of Lyme symptoms. And he diagnosed me over the phone and immediately started me on antibiotics. Um, and so this also began what I thought was, okay, have my answer. I actually now know what's wrong with me. Yeah. So I thought that was gonna be, again, the solution, but it wasn't. It was now that I know what's here, well, now what? Okay, so the only thing I knew at that time was you're sick, you go to the doctor, you get a medication. So this is the journey that it took me on. And it was, you're gonna go on antibiotics for a month. And I thought that was an incredibly long time. Okay, but I'm going to do that. And in a month, I'll be fine. And a month later, I was 10 times worse. Wow. The antibiotics were killing the bacteria. They're in turn poisoning my body. I am herxing beyond anything that I can actually handle. I became so detached. Uh, I was like living in a horror movie. So everything just, everything was scary. Life was scary. My environment was scary. I was afraid to walk to the bathroom because it was terrifying to even do that because everything was really warped and my perception was really off. And this continued on, right? Then we're going to keep you on for two more months. Okay, three months. And you're going to go to your appointment. I couldn't go to my appointment. So it's kind of not forced, but nudged to get in the car and go to my appointment, which was the most terrifying experience of my life because I was unable to sit in my own body. So I'm unable to sit in a car in traffic. I'm unable to sit at an appointment and wait for a doctor to call me in. I was unable to sit and take blood work. So I jumped out of the chair and ran out of the room because my nervous system was so frayed. It was so out of balance. It felt like um, live wires that were kind of sliced off. I even remember going to the emergency room at one point, telling them that my nerves are frayed, that I have no nervous system. And they looked at me like I was crazy. 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 They're like, what do you mean? You have no nervous system. I'm like, you have to help me. I have no nervous system. 
-hmm. right? I, I can't be here, but I can't be home. I, I couldn't be in my body. I wanted out of my body so bad. So there was a lot of depression that came in, which I know comes up for a lot of people with chronic illness. There was a lot of suicidal thoughts that came in. Of course. And I think if I was, I always say I wasn't brave enough to do it, but I thought about it a lot. Um, I wrote a lot of goodbye letters to my family. Uh, I journaled my whole, I started journaling really to keep track of my symptoms and it just led to journaling every day. And a lot of those journals included saying goodbye because I didn't believe I'd wake up in the morning. I actually didn't a lot of days want to wake up in the morning. I would pray that I wouldn't wake up in the morning for a, a long period of time. Um, and this is the piece of, right, a lot of people ask me, well, how did you get through that, that time when it was that dark? and that severe and that um, there was so much suffering. And that's when I said I would, I would watch the clock because I was unable to watch TV at this time. I was unable to read, look at a magazine, um, hold a conversation. It was sort of just me and my body laying in this bed. And I would watch the clock, digital clock, just turn one second, two seconds. And I, in my head, just, watch it for 10 more seconds. Just get through the next five seconds if you can, right? Just remember to breathe for five more seconds. And that's how I got through a lot of my days. If I can just get through the next 10 seconds and then the next 10, okay, I see the sun is setting. Oh, I made it through another day. Not even knowing how I'm gonna make it through the next night, but in the same way, 10 more seconds. And as I started to heal from this and come out of this, there were, somebody asked me, what was the turning point? How did you know you were coming out of this? Because I have a client who's actually going through the exact same experience. And I said, when I can sit on the side of my bed, that was such a huge accomplishment for me to be able to just sit upright and to put my legs on the side of the bed, right? So it wasn't that I had to have this big epiphany, this, I'm gonna jump up and do jumping jacks, wow, I can sit on the side of my bed. What else can I do? I'm going to stand up and try to just walk into the hallway. And then it was, I'm just going to walk into the other room. And the first time I walked down a flight, my flight of stairs, my family was in the kitchen um, clapping for me like I had just <laughs> won a pageant or something because it was such a big deal to have now walked down this flight of stairs that I didn't know if that was ever going to be possible or not. And once I started to see that I could do even these very small things, I started to really celebrate them. Okay, now I'm gonna attempt to like walk to my mailbox and back. This was a huge deal just to be able to walk again, right? So and when I could do that, it was, oh, maybe I can walk around my cul-de-sac and, and sort of started to really build off of that and let more come in more come in, more come in until I was able to walk again, really, until I was able to, um, oh, I love Matt. <laughs> I have, um, <laughs> this is something I share too, that I, I have this little note card when all, the only thing I could do was go sit on my deck and just be outside and breathe fresh air. I have a little note card that 
somebody said, well, write down the top five things you want to do when you're well. And it wasn't, you know, I'm going to travel Europe again and I'm going to do all these. I'm going to have a family. It was my first one was I'm going to go get an ice cream. Like I just wanted to drive to Dairy Queen and get an ice cream cone. And the second one was I wanted to go to the beach again. And the third one was they just opened a home goods and I love interior decorating. I love home goods, my favorite. And I was like, I want to go to that. I want to go to home goods. So they were what to some people might seem really small and insignificant were so big for me. And so the first time I went and got an ice cream, I didn't drive because I was unable to drive still at this time. But I went and I went in the car and I went and got the ice cream cone. And it was like, well, look at what you just accomplished from where you were to where you are now. This is massive. So I'm going to celebrate that. And slowly and time made my way down that list of, okay, made it to the beach. Even if it maybe didn't look how I thought it was going to look. Because I still went with anxiety. I still went not feeling 100%. I still went, yeah, with a headache or fatigue or the, you know, 50 other symptoms that traveled with me. But I started to choose life again. And I started to choose, right, I'm going to go to the beach, even if I can only go for 20 minutes and put my feet in the sand, that's what I'm going to do. So I, I started to let life come in. And the more I let life come in, the more life came in. And the more I was able to do, and the more I was able to heal. Until I got actually really strong and ended up moving out and getting my own place and went back to work part-time, a few hours a week, which led to more hours, which led to full-time, which led, right? So it was these uh, baby steps. I didn't just sort of jump right into the deep end. I, one foot at a time, started moving through life and letting them life come in. And I was well for three years and I embraced every second of my life in those three years. And I appreciated every smell, every everything, because it was so... I knew it could be taken from me at any time because what my doctor had said at that time was, if you can make it to three years, you're cured. Whew, no pressure, <laughs> right? Let me make it to three years and, and I'm cured. I never have to think about this again. And right at that three-year mark, and I was careful in those three years. I worked out every day. I got to a point where I was at the gym two hours a day, six days a week. And that's keeping me healthy. Okay, I can't not do that. I have to keep that going, right? I have to keep these things in place, control this so that I don't relapse. Whew. Three-year mark came. I met my husband. I stopped going to the gym and started going out with him on dates and just having a great time. And he said, no stressful events. Okay, so I'm going to avoid those like the plague. Well, you can only do that for so long before stress shows up in your life. So here comes a stressful event. I'm not, I don't have the control factor of being working out and oh, everything came flooding back in. Within two months, I was in a full-blown relapse and all of my symptoms were back. And the stressful event was what was ha that happened? Yeah, so I was working and the company was closing. So I'm losing my job. 
I am living on my own. I'm going through something with my, with now my husband, but my boyfriend at the time. And it was just a really stressful time of, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. I don't know how I'm going to do all of these things. I don't have a job. And yeah, it just was a lot of stress in my body. And I didn't really know how to manage that at the time because I'm not actually going to the gym and working it out. I'm just in it. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny for a doctor to say no stressful events. Like you're yeah. going to be fine as long as you don't have any stress in your life. Sure. And it's like life is a big, can be a big challenge and you're going to yeah. navigate that. So how do we move through that versus just avoid, avoid, avoid. avoid. Yeah. So I avoided, avoided, avoided until it showed up and I was like, oh no, here it is. Well, well of course, what's going to happen, right? Relapse. And this changed really everything for me because what I did was go back on antibiotics, I go back to the same doctor. Well, I got well before I can do it again. And so I started antibiotics and they weren't working. And so by month two, they're not working month three, I get to month eight and I finally have some clarity. This is actually not going to be how it's going to go for you anymore. So we're going to drop this. We're not doing it this way because if it actually did fully heal me, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be going through this again. If I still believe that was the answer. So I let that fall away. And now I'm kind of in no man's land. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to turn to. And okay, so here's a doctor here and we're going to go check them out. Okay, I'll go check them out. Nothing really transpires from that. Okay, well, here's an online course where they do some sort of coding and read numbers over the phone. Great, sounds great. I'll do that because I don't actually have to leave my house because I can't, I'm too sick. I'm agoraphobic at this point. So my anxiety is so bad that I can't even walk out my front door. So let me do this for a year and a half. A year and a half later, I'm exactly the same, nothing shifting. Then I find out I'm having a baby because my boyfriend and I moved in together. My mother, this was another piece. My mother had sold our home, our childhood home. So I have no job. I'm like, I have to find a place to live. She's like, move in with me. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm 30 years old. I don't want to move in with my mother. Okay, so what else can I do? I moved in with my boyfriend and he was working. Okay, well, I'll move in with him. And then I find out I'm having a baby, which I was really excited about. I wanted to have a baby. Yes, yeah, so much stress trying not to have stress. Yes. <laughs> and oh, here comes more stress <laughs> because not only do I have Lyme disease and I'm pregnant, well, now I have hyperemesis and I have such severe morning vomiting, sickness. Vomiting. 24 7 vomiting. You can't hold down water. You can't eat. I'm in and out of the hospital on IVs <sighs> to the point where I didn't even know if I was going to survive this pregnancy, but I did somehow made it through that. She's born. Oh, I'm in a little bit of a period of when I'm nursing, I don't have these hormonal shifts in my body. I felt a little bit better. I stopped nursing. Everything returns to normal. Boom. My symptoms are right here waiting for me. <sighs> okay. So now I'm in it with a newborn. How am I going to navigate this? Right. And I had so much anxiety, so much fear, so many symptoms still that I'm unable to take her to her appointments. My husband is doing that. I am unable to right, go to a baby shower for her, whatever the things were going on at that time. And I'm, I'm unable to do that. 
And so now for a lot of years, I really didn't do anything. I was so focused on taking care of this baby that I'm not doing anything and nothing is changing. And so I'm in the same boat and I'm waiting. I'm, this is the big piece too, that so many do where I'm waiting to get better in order to have my life. So I'm waiting and another year goes by and I'm still waiting to just miraculously heal, wake up and just feel better um, for whatever was going to come in to solve this problem for me. I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. Okay. Now I have four years later, I'm pregnant with, I wanted to be pregnant. So I'm trying to have a baby for about two years. The doctor says, wait two years. So I waited the two years and I get pregnant and have a miscarriage. And now I'm going through that experience, more stress, <laughs> right? Here's even more of life showing me that I'm going to stay sick. And this is just sort of my identity. This is this is what it is. You're going to stay sick forever. I get pregnant again. I have another miscarriage. So I'm moving through these experiences and my body is completely out of alignment. Then I get pregnant with my youngest daughter now, 10 years ago. And not only do I have hyperemesis, but I have it twice as bad as I had with the first. Wow. But here's an ex here's a piece that of that wisdom, that knowing, even when you don't, I wasn't aware that I even had it at this time, right? So I'm in the hospital. I actually formed a blood clot from a um, IV line, pick line that was put in. So I land in the hospital with a blood clot. And I mean, from the doctor's point of view, it was fear. If this thing breaks off, goes to your lung, not only are you going to die, your unborn baby's going to die and you're going to leave your four-year-old daughter motherless. Oh, oh my God. So they were like, you, you, we need to, you're, the advice was to not carry through with the pregnancy. And I think it was 10 weeks. So they said, we have somebody upstairs in the maternity ward that can take care of this for you. Oh my gosh. Jess. I know. And I sat there so sick. I couldn't even write to drink water. This, so I'm so sick in the hospital with a huge smile on my face. And I was like, not a chance. <laughs> I want this baby. I knew I wanted this baby. And there was part of me that knew you're going to be totally fine. She's going to be totally fine. And I was like, no. That's a magic moment right there. It you was shift consciousness. Like, no, I'm getting on another train. Yes. It was such a moment of you're not, there's, there's no more discussion. Like, thank you for offering me that. It's a clear no, and it's a clear, we're actually going to be totally fine. Okay, so I have to do other things. I need to be on blood thinners, and that's fine. Just like, let's do that, right? I'm going to support myself and do what I need to do and move through the pregnancy and have my beautiful, healthy daughter. And I nurse her for almost two years. And so I felt a little lighter during those two years. I could do a little bit more. And as soon as I stopped and everything came back into rhythm, boom, I'm, I'm right back in it. Oh my God, I can't get, I just can't get unstuck from Lyme disease. Then my mother recommends, well, my friend used this um, naturopath. Why don't you go see him? Okay, well, I can't actually go physically see him because I can't leave my house. 
I'm in so much fear while well, he's willing to come see you. Oh, perfect. Okay, let's do this. Okay, change the full diet. Great. Here's all these supplements. I don't actually want to be on supplements, but okay. I'll do this for a year and a half. Well, I did it for a year and a half. I didn't give myself a timeline, but let me do this. And I got to this point after about a year and a half where I said, I have tried everything. I did. And then I did, um, after I started working with you, I chose even more. And so I felt like I had tried so many different things, seen so many different doctors, been diagnosed with so many different things that I decided I'm going to just take a pause. And I said, I'm not, I'm just going to stop everything. And I'll give myself a week and like, just pause and see what's actually here and what I can let go of and what I want to continue with. And the part of it was, you know, I think you should meet this woman in my office because I think there's this piece missing, this um, treating your whole body piece. Cause I was still in the, I have an illness, I have symptoms, I want out of the illness and I want out of the symptoms. And so that's when he introduced me to you. And so coming in to see you immediately, I felt like you just knew what I was going through. You could read my body in a way that no doctor had ever been able to do. And I was like mind blown, blown away that you could really feel into what I was experiencing, what I had experienced up until that moment. And after that, I let everything else fall away. I said, and I'm going to continue this. I want to learn as much as I can. I want to know about this work as much as I can, because it was so new to me. It wasn't something that I had ever been introduced to before, but it had opened something in me that I knew I wanted more of. So I'm just going to keep letting that in, letting that in. And I was still in the, well, you're going to heal me and cure me, <laughs> right? Because nobody else could do it. So you're going to do it. And then, okay, well, here's another program. Um, it was called Lime Laser and you do red light therapy and um, detox foot baths and meditation and and some chiropractic work. And some of, some of that was wonderful and great and felt really good. And other parts, again, it was really strict diet. It was really strict. Um, I had to do it every Monday, Friday. And if I got sick, I missed a day. <gasps> now I'm set back. It was, there was a lot of tension around that. And so I've actually let that go and joined Embracing Health and did the program and learned so much. And the big turning point, which I was asked on our last call last week with Alicia, was I was still in so much fear of my symptoms, but I hated them. And I hated the body that I was in because of them. And I hated my life because of this illness. And so I sort of hated everything that was going on inside of me. And when I shifted that to love, shifted that to be able to really love my symptoms for, right, they're showing up for me. Okay, let me change my perspective here that they're not actually here to hurt me or take me down again or put me in that bed again. What's actually here for me? And when I started to really embrace that and love those parts of me that I hated for so long, and started to find gratitude for the things that I did have and for the parts of my body that were working, right? That my heart's beating on its own, that I'm able to eat food, uh, that I'm able to walk and my legs are working when at one point they weren't. So I started to really shift my focus on what was working 
And everything started to shift in that moment for me. Yeah, it was a really profound turning point where I stopped being really hard on myself and beating myself up and started to really let go of a lot of the shame that I carried for having an illness, for feeling unlovable for having an illness, um, for feeling really worthless for having an illness, less than somebody else because I have this illness, um, a bad mother for having kids when I wasn't 100% perfectly well, and for them for having to have a sick mother, right? So there was a lot of guilt that I was carrying. And I was able to begin to even love those parts of me, right? And start to, which actually started to release a lot of that and started to release a lot of the fear. And once I could do that and more of that released, I was able to come in into even more alignment with my body. And life started coming in even more. And opportunity started coming in even more. And abundance started coming in even more. And it was like, yes, this is, this is what I've been wanting for almost two decades. And I started to feel like I was coming unstuck. <laughs> yeah. And, and life really just started to open. And, and again, it was sort of these small baby steps of doing something and then seeing, well, you are capable. You just did that thing, whatever, however small it was well, what else is possible? What else could you do, right? And starting to choose some more things and letting that come in and, and watching myself do them. Again, I'm still doing them with fear, but instead of, no, 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 I'm going to wait till this is all gone and then I'm going to choose my life. I'm going to choose to live life. I'm actually going to take it all with me, right? So I'm going to do the things with full-blown anxiety. I'm going to do the things even though I don't have a ton of energy today. I might do something small. What is actually possible? What can I do today? What can I let in? And so I kept doing that every day, just meeting those parts of me uh, in a new way. And so it really changed my relationship with, with illness, with symptoms, with fear, and let them really be a part of me as opposed to something I had to get rid of or something I had to sort of fight. I think that the first time I met you, um, you had asked me and it always stuck with me. I said, uh, you know, I've been fighting for so long and I'm white knuckling my way through life. And you said, well, what if you could release that fight? And it was like, well, I hadn't even, I hadn't even thought of that. I didn't even know that was a possibility because I thought, and I was taught, you have to fight this illness. Don't let it take you down again. You have to fight it. Keep going. Like try another thing. Do another thing. And that so that's how I was doing it. And the minute you were like, "Well, what? What if I show you that there's an, another way? You don't have to do it that way." It was like, "Oh my God!" The gates opened and, <laughs> and the heavens opened. It. Yes, I want to do it another way. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> I know it's a. It's a long story and there's a lot of pieces that I could share even more on. Well, I, I've heard this so many times, but there's so much of it. I wasn't aware of at all. Yeah. I think everyone here and I, I try to post the comments coming through because yeah. um, 
people are really resonating with this. They can feel the courage that you've had. Um, I took just some little notes about those, those major pivotal points of like when you were in the clarity and the knowing of like, Nope, I'm keeping this baby. Yes. It wasn't a fight of like, no, no, I'm just going to block out what they're saying. I'm not going to let that in because some people try to do that move, but they're not actually in the energy and consciousness that you were in, which actually takes surrender. And then there's a clarity and a knowing and a strength. And then you just choose on the clarity, like, nope, that's not applying to me. Yes. Here's what I'm going to do. And and I do think there's a difference between like doing the move versus being in the consciousness of that move. Yes. And, and you were in that certainty and you were in that clarity, which is more about receptivity than it is about fighting. Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to have this. Um, yeah, there was no fight in that moment. There was no, I'm going to go against him. I'm going to fight this. It was a very clear, thank you for that advice. It's like, I'm just going to let it come in and go out. And there's zero part of it that I'm going to resonate with. You began listening to your wisdom. You began tuning into your certainty. Like, okay, what do I know that I know? It, it was exactly the same thing when I experienced that autoimmune illness and then the doctors told me, oh, here's your diagnosis and here's the thing, here's what you've got to do. And then I went and walked on the beach that afternoon and was like, all right, body, what's really going on here? Yes. There was a receptivity and there was a listening. And so then I could be in my knowing yes. instead of in fear against what they were telling me. So I'm like, no, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to block that out. I'm going to choose. I'm okay. It yes. wasn't like that at all. It was a total clarity. And that came from that serenity, serenity yes. from surrender. And someone typed in before, like, well, the Oxford definition of surrender. And it's like, you're giving into the enemy. And that yeah. you know, what we're really talking about is releasing the resistance you're holding. Yes. Yeah. When there was nothing but serenity in that moment. Yes. Yeah. When you release the resistance, there's serenity. When you release the resistance, you know, what you resist persists you're no longer creating that illness or the enemy or the unwanted yes. because you're not putting the same kind of energy into the equation. Yeah. And it doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. It was hard afterwards, right? It doesn't, it didn't mean it was, I chose this and it was like smooth sailing. There was still, I still had to go through that experience of this pregnancy and having it look different than this one, right. And having it just look different but it was okay that it looked different. And I was gonna be open to whatever I needed to do to resource myself through it. Yeah, and it was just a very clear too of, the doctor actually didn't know best in this situation. He didn't know me. He didn't know what I'm capable yes. of. So you finally started looking at, all right, what does my wisdom have to say about this? Yeah. Instead of just outsourcing, 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 looking for help me, help me. Will you help me? Will you help me? Will you help me? That's the, I think the first major shift that has to happen is a yeah. surrender where we, sh we surrender looking outside ourselves for save me, save me. And we actually surrender to the wisdom within ourselves yes. and let it show us something. Yes. Yes. How can they know what I'm capable of? There's no possible way. And you begin to listen to something inside you. Let's go yes. to some questions. I'm glad. So Jess is going to be on two weeks from now because next week yes. we'll have Alicia and and from like this whole month is Mind Body Mentors. And so Alicia is going to be on next week and then Jess will be back on the third week. So we'll go into more. Yes. Um, 
because I want to tease apart these little nuggets on your journey. But yeah. let's look at this um, question here because Heidi's saying, is it the same for mental health, depression, PTSD, panic, allowing myself to love those parts of me, allowing the feelings to be there and letting the story go? Yes. Yes. Panic was my first symptom and it was my last symptom. Oh, wow. Yes. Everything else fell away and the fear and panic was still here. The uh, I'm not okay piece was still here. The, if I continue to feel this, I'm not okay. And so I was afraid to be on my own for many, many years. I was agoraphobic. I'm afraid to leave the house. I was afraid of everything. Everything was a threat to my system, loud noises. I had severe PTSD from the sort of first three years of having gone through that illness. Um, so yes, it's the same for mental health. It's the same for, I had severe, severe depression. It was the same letting it be there and not fighting it because the more I fought the panic, the more the panic attacks continued to come. But once I let them in, once I no longer feared them showing up, they stopped coming. Once I took fear with me, right? Once I let it be with me, instead of this thing that was chasing me that I had to run from all the time, hide from, avoid, once I let it come in, once I opened the door and welcomed it in, it no longer really needed my attention in the same way. Mm. Yeah, there's an analogy I use on a lot of my calls of, um, right, you have this small child who's tugging at your leg, right? You're like making dinner, you're on the phone, and the child's tugging at your pant leg, like trying to get your attention. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I'm doing something, I'm, on the, I'm working. Or, and they're like, going to tug harder and harder and harder. But the minute you stop what you're doing, you turn to that child, you bend down and you're like, you have my full attention. What do you need from me? And usually it's like, I just want to hug. And then they go run off into the other room and like do whatever they're going to do. Yes. But the more you like push it away, kind of kick them off your leg, they're going to tug harder and harder. Scream. Okay. Scream to get you to stop what you're doing and look at them. And what do you need? Okay. So what do you need from me? Fear depression. I just need your attention. I just need you like, give me a hug and love me. So what if I do that every time it shows up and then it can fall away and run into the other room. It doesn't need to like pull on you so hard, right? It's okay. You can actually be with me for as long as you need to be with me. And when you say that to a child, right, they get like two minutes of your attention and they're like off doing the next thing. They don't need to be on you all day long. They just want those moments of that love and that affection, that attention, that nurturing. So can I do that with fear? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yes. What about this one? Um, Lyric is asking, uh, cause I know, you know, you're doing these yeah. mentorship sessions, you're doing this amazing coaching, you're walking people through this exact same journey of, of connecting with their self and their wisdom and their answers and their power. Yes. Um, you see a lot of like what's under the surface they weren't even aware of. It's a subconscious. And she's saying, well, this started for you so young. Um, how much did you find were emotions related to your childhood? And yeah. I think we extrapolate this on like, how much would you find that the thing that's happening are emotions you've suppressed, whether it's related to your childhood or other lifetimes or other, who knows where, but just energy that you've suppressed, which yes. you just speak. Yeah, a hundred percent. So my personality was that I did not express my emotions as a child. I held it together always. 
I would show up at my gr grandmother's funeral and I was afraid to cry because I, I felt at 12 years old, I had to keep it together. I couldn't actually express my emotions until I went home and was by myself and sort of did it alone. And um, this came up on one of our, our first sessions together as well, because my wedding was coming up and I was so afraid I was going to cry at my wedding. And you said, well, where did you learn that? And I thought, well, what do you mean? Where did I learn that? I didn't learn that. And there's a, and then I thought, oh, wait a minute. I remember being at my grandmother's funeral at 11, 12 years old and having to hold it all together. Oh, I wasn't actually allowed to express my emotions or maybe I was, and I just chose not to. I don't really remember why it was that way. And then interestingly, I just found out, um, my father let me know right as a small child, I always had stomach issues. And my mother was um, hypochondriac. Yes, she still is. And so at two years old, I was at emergency rooms. I'm in Boston at Boston Children's. I'm having all kinds of tests done for my stomach. And this went on, I guess, from the age of two to the age of six. And I have no memory of this, but I believe it may have started my path of there's actually always something wrong with you that we need to figure out. And I was diagnosed at whatever, four or five, six with a sensitive stomach, right? Because they never found anything. I don't actually know that there was anything. I think a lot of it was my mother's doing. Neurologic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and stress or whatever was going on in my home. And I came from a tumultuous home where my parents were not loving to one another and divorced and... And that was, there was a lot going on at that time. So yeah, I believe I carried a lot of that into my journey. And looking back, I can see where I had anxiety as a young child. I just didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. I was afraid to go to the bus stop. I just didn't know why, you know? So I had these fears and these anxieties, but I had no way to express them and I didn't know what they were. So for me, it makes a lot of sense that that was my first symptom. Mm -hmm. Something I had been suppressed and holding down was the first thing to show up. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, you know, there's other, a lot of people who are really identifying with your journey and yeah. the experience of, of what this was like. And Jessica's saying, I've been in bed for pretty much nine weeks, trying medications, waiting on them to start, etc. Yeah. I'm so scared of this being here forever. How do you release that fear? And so let's, let's touch into that. And also like um, how, have you invited those you're in a session with one-on-one -on -one privately and working with, or the work you're doing in embracing health and when we're working with a group, um, how have you um, invited them to get more connected with that source of healing and that source that allows things to begin to take place for healing? Yeah. Being, sitting in the possibility or sitting in the piece where this is forever is because we're trying so hard to get out of it, right? So if you're fighting so hard to get out of where you are, it's every day is going to feel like forever because every day is going to feel like the same fight over and over again. And it feels like Groundhog's Day where you're going through the same thing over and over and again. A little piece I like to add on is the right now or the not yet, right? I'm unable to get out of bed right now, or I don't have 
the healing I want yet, right? It put it puts a temporary spin on it, perspective on it, and it takes away the piece of this is going to be this way forever. And it opens space, I found, to be able to allow it even more. If this is temporary, if this is just for this one moment, am I more willing to be in this one moment and meet it more fully? And can I choose that moment to moment, right? So those 10 seconds I'm lying in the bed looking at the clock, I'm actually allowing myself to be where I am for those 10 seconds for, for that moment. So can I be more willing to be invite in this moment more fully? And if I can choose that from moment to moment, the forever timeline gets sort of falls away because I'm thinking in the future, I'm thinking it's going to be 20 years. I'm thinking it's going to be for the rest of my life. And I thought that too. I, I thought I was going to have this for the rest of my life, especially after another year went by, or, you know, I had this timeline. If I turn 30 and I'm still dealing with this, oh my God, if I'm 35, I can't believe I'm still dealing with this or whatever that the timeline was that I had set in my mind that it had to, I had to be healed right by that three years. This is unacceptable. Yes, it's unacceptable. But so if I can just bring it back to that moment, to the next 10 seconds, can I be more willing to be in these 10 seconds? Can I sit and breathe into these next five seconds? Two breaths, if that's all I can take in at that moment. It just allows more really of the presence and it allows more space to stop the fight, to let this be here, to embrace embrace it for just a few more seconds. So what you're doing is, is welcoming it or giving yourself, okay, two breaths to presence and welcome what's here. Because a lot of people are asking like, what do I do when there's the symptoms? How do I how do I, uh, she said, uh, the first, what is your first step in the thought process when you have a physical symptom, which I think you're really answering that question. Yeah. Um, and someone else is saying, yeah, I I've been doing that, giving just enough attention to my pain for it to ease, but then I ignore it when I start feeling better and the pain returns. And I think yeah. what you're saying is like, it's a new way of being with everything and with your body in every moment, not just yes. as like an inconvenience. And now I'm going to go back to my regular operating system of like yes. ignoring myself, shutting myself down and closure. Yeah. Um, do you want to speak to that? Yeah, it's, it's changing the relationship with your symptoms, with your illness, with what you think your diagnosis means, right? So my relationship with my illness was to fear it, to hate it, to try to get out of it, to run from it, to avoid it, to not be with it. And so I had to change my relationship. I had to begin to really love it. And a lot of times I say, well, how do you love something that you hate? How do you love something that you don't want to be here? Right? And it's, yeah, it's that piece of, well, I don't love this pain. And it's not that I love the pain, but I'm going to send love to the pain. I'm going to let it know that it's okay that it's showing up for me to get my attention in this way. I'm going to let my body know it's okay to be tired, right? Because there's this idea that I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be tired. So I can't have this fatigue here. I need to do everything to not have this fatigue here, right? I need to move this energy. I, I, <laughs> I joke on a lot of my calls. I, I would... 
be doing something and I'd have all this anxious energy come up and all this fear come up and I don't feel well enough to do this. And I would literally get out like exercise weights and try to quickly like get the, move the energy, move the energy. Let me like just lift this really quick and let me do like 20 jumping jacks so I can move this energy because if I can just get out of it, then I can go do the thing. And, and, and I, I don't, don't have to feel be with it. it. Yes. And it never worked. Of course, it actually just kind of fired me up even more. <sighs> what if I actually just be present and let it come with me? What if I actually don't have to make it go away? So how can I change my relationship with my symptoms? I don't need them now to be gone in order to have a full life. I don't need them to be gone in order to choose happiness or gratitude. I don't need them to be gone in order to have the life I'm living, even if it doesn't yet look how I want it to look. How and that's can I what allowed you're yeah. no longer needing it to be gone is the one allowed it to go. And, and you're yes. not, I mean, you could share a little bit about where you're at now. Obviously you're yeah. very well functioning, <laughs> but you're not having those symptoms. You're not living in severe no. pain or agoraphobia or like maybe we No, it's all completely a hundred percent dissolved. And, but it was the more I allowed it to be here, the more, how can I choose life in this moment and not needing this to go away to have the life I want, because what that did was kept me stuck and it kept me waiting and waiting and waiting because I'm waiting for it all to be gone in order to choose life. But this actually is my life. I am living my life. So how can I let some things come in that will bring me joy? So I let art come in, right? Art is a, was a big part of my healing journey. And so I can choose that even if I'm unable to leave my home or my bed, I can actually so choose that and let that come in and be in the gratitude of that, even if I can't go do all the other things I want to do yet. That, that's a big key is less conditions on yes. your being in allowance, less conditions on your being in gratitude. Because we've seen even scientifically that that consciousness of gratitude elevates the health, elevates the, yes. uh, the frequency of your body, allows a dissolution of symptoms, pain, disease, inflammation, uh, very immediately on directly. Yes. And so how can I let that well-being and gratitude be less conditional so I can access that more since that's what lets the symptoms dissolve? Yes. And it just makes more space. Yes. So there's always something, um, a little practice I did too, which I love is right. So I'd have, I had a hard time sleeping and your mind's racing, you're in full blown fight or flight all day long. It's hard to calm and get yourself to bed. And so I started this nighttime practice where I would just close my eyes and in my mind, think of 10 things that I'm grateful for, for that day. And it, it can be broad. Yes. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for, but I would try to really think and narrow it down. What am I grateful for today? Maybe I'm just grateful that I was able to take that bath or have that cup of tea or, you know, that conversation with a friend or, I'm grateful for just looking outside and seeing the leaves change, right? And the fall in New England or whatever that may be. And I found that by the time I got to like eight or nine or 10, I was sound asleep. And it was a way to just really bring my body into ease and really bring that space in me, even if I had a tough day, even if my anxiety is really high, to bring me into the gratitude. Because there's always something that you can be grateful for let me kind of sit and take those 10 minutes and and see what those are and mm -hmm. i started to to do this at night before and it actually really helped and just 
calming my system and getting me to a place where I was able to fall asleep. Yeah. And you can start your day that way too. It's a really great way to start your day. <laughs> that That's a great simple piece. And I know there's a ton more yes. that you have to share and that you bring into the sessions because people are like, how do I access love and gratitude when I'm feeling so defeated? Yeah. And mm -hmm. You've really integrated that on the most profound levels of like, how do I have compassion for myself yes. in those lower, lower states where I don't even think I could access gratitude. How do I allow that cracking open? Yeah. So I've shared the link that um, Jessica is available and the mentorship page is at www.drkimd.com forward slash mentors. Um, she has a package where you can work with her for a, a, a you know, a, it's a three month package or there are still some single session uh, packages available if you want a single session and get to know Jess. Um, uh, do you have anything you want to add for that invitation or to let people know who might um, be, you know, potentially a fit for this? Um, you know, what you may have to say for them making that choice. Yeah. If you're feeling really stuck where you are and not really knowing how to move out of that, even though it, you know, that's exactly what you're asking for and what you're wanting. It's a great way for me to help you guide you through that to show you where the cracks can be, where those cracks can start to open to let that come in. Yeah, I've had a lot of really beautiful, powerful sessions where the awareness may not even be there yet. And I can just help you guide you to show you where that awareness is, where you can start to let something else come in, where there you maybe can shift your perspective on how you're viewing your symptoms, how you're viewing illness or the story around your diagnosis and how to even start, begin to release that. That was a big piece for me was letting go of the idea of what it actually meant versus what I know that I'm capable of doing. And so there can be a big shift in that as well. Yeah. Thank you, Jess. Yeah. You know, I know people are asking about specific illnesses and this is across the board, something yes. that will strengthen your body's ability to heal itself about your body the wisdom that comes through your body that literally takes care of every single illness we've ever seen in the history of medicine because yeah. all of it is amenable to the inner workings of the body and the rearrangement of the body and the opening that the body you can initiate in the body so um this is yes for real uh <laughs> real illness that's happening yes. you've got a diagnosis you've got symptoms there's changes in the body um all of it is is affected. Uh, someone's asking about adolescents. Uh, are you interested in working with adolescents? Yes, I would love that. Yes. And they are recorded. Yes. Yeah, I have a 14-year-old daughter and then 10-year-old daughter. And I have moved through a lot with them as well, dealing with anxiety and um, other things that have shown up for them. So yeah, I would absolutely invite that. Yes. Jess, you're a, you're a gold. You're an <laughs> asset and a treasure and a gift. And I know everyone receiving this will have um, Thank you. just, I think, gratitude in their heart that you've gone through the journey you've gone through, but that you've come to the place you're at with it to help them do the same, no matter where they are. And uh, we didn't even touch into these other pieces. I know. Here we, go. we will next time. Know. <laughs> guilt and fear and like, how do we so uh, let that move? So um, thank you so, so much. Yeah, um, thank you. Of weeks, and um, everyone, you're invited if you'd like to move forward with Jess. I've put the link here, drkimd.com forward slash mentors. But you can also join the mind body community in Facebook. Jessica is one of the mentors in there for helping people integrate this work and you know, and 
other ways that you're participating with this. So we'll be here every week on Wednesday at 11 a.m. Mountain for Mind Body TV Live and Facebook in the Mind Body community, and also in my YouTube channel. Be sure you're subscribed in there if you are in YouTube. Um, we look forward to continuing to assist you in assisting humanity in this expansion of a new way of being with the body. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye. Love you guys. Thank you. You've been listening to the Mind Body TV podcast with Dr. Kim Duramo. For a special download to assist with integrating this work, go to drkimd.com forward slash podcast.